Today's episode is brought to you by Gray Block Pizza. If you are wondering if you can have something in your mouth that feels like it's from another country, you can. Italy. And that is pizza. Gray Block Pizza. 1811 Pico Boulevard on the way to the beach. Gray Block. Get that header. Today's guest is a, um, he's a film man and he's a comedian. And honestly, I don't even really know him that well. So I'm going to get to know him as you do. But I do know that he is the star of the Emoji movie, T.J. Miller. Yeah, it is. You know, and I just, sometimes I like to have something. Sometimes I'll wear some glasses that don't have any lenses or just something. I don't really like interviewing, so it makes me feel, or not interviewing, but I, I, sometimes I'm I just not, it's not really my strongest suit. So, Do you so, think? Yeah. Well, one of the things is you riff on your own and with the voicemails and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's, and it's, that's closer to stand up, right? right? Than doing an interview. And then I find that other people are almost more comfortable interviewing like that's one thing that i've thought is really interesting about i mean the joke with mark maron's podcast was always like fast forward through his part and get to the interview because he's such a good interviewer yeah and then joe rogan um i think has slowly become more about the interview and being the interviewer than about it being comedic at all or anything like that yeah he's yeah he's not usually he's not very comedic or with some guests he is and some guests he isn't yeah yeah but I think you do interviews really well, but that's interesting that you don't feel necessarily comfortable doing that. Cause we were just talking about, um, I have this show called Gore Burger where it's a giant blue alien puppet that mm -hmm. interviews people. Mm -hmm. And that was on comedy central and there's a lot of it on YouTube. And, um, that I felt really good. And I'm, I was interested in interviewing it and he did Gore Burger did Snoop Dogg's GGN network. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, it was just, it's and it's a real burger. It's a fake burger, but it's a no. It's like a you got oh, there it, it is. Yeah, that's it. Oh and wow, yeah. He's, he's and so it's a giant puppet, and there's somebody else in the puppet. Is it you? But I'm so I'm controlling his mouth using a radio controller, and two other puppeteers are doing his eyes and sort of facial expressions. Mm -hmm. And so it's a live. Oh, it's like interview. Joe Biden. You mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's got kind similar, of the look, yeah, right? A little. He's, Dude, that's he amazing stumbles looking. a little bit less, I think. Well, that's incredible looking. It's great. And so I do it with these two guys, the director brothers, and it's a um it feels a lot more comfortable for me, kind of what you're saying, to interview somebody through the character because oh. he sort of talks like this and he doesn't really know anything about human beings, and so he has kind of questions about what it's like to be a human. Yeah. So the questions can <laughs> yeah. kind of come from that angle. Instead of necessarily being, you know, T.J. Miller asking questions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really, really like that. And then my podcast, Cashing In with T.J. Miller, is um, the conceit is that Cash Levy, who's a comedian and an improviser, a friend of mine that I tour with, mm -hmm. he has an interview show, but he can never get another guest. So I've been his only guest for like six years now. Oh, really? So every it's just you interviewing week. him, him no, interviewing every time? Me, yeah, every single time. But it's it's more <laughs> absurdist and it's kind of, you know, the interviews aren't about, you know, what's what are you up to? What's going on with you? It's more stuff like, 
you know, we have a thing where it's like, if you attach a handle to anything, does it become a ladle? Like, if you put a oh, handle yeah. on this, does it immediately become a ladle? Like a mitten? Or yeah, like right. A, a mitten would be a ladle. That's exactly right. And that yeah. would be a better, is that a better ladle than a glove? Mm. Or can you use each of the fingers for the separate things that you want to ladle? I think glove probably be better because a mitten is going to have too much liquid you could get out of a mitten. Yeah. I've tried not, to run water across the house in a mitten when I was young, and it's, it's anticlimactic. <laughs> I'd love to know what the context of that is. Just not having a cup. Yeah, so you just got to get that water one way or another and to the other fast. side. You know, of the... kids, when you're being fast, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it doesn't so matter. Funny. Well, um, can you relate, you think, to that, Anna? Like, do you feel like you sometimes, like, because I feel like you, to me, like, because we don't know each other that well. Yeah, I know. We kind of have crossed paths mostly through stand up. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like, and you always seem to me like, a, um, like, I always, sometimes, sometimes with you, I always, because, I always felt like there was like a fire alarm going off or something sometimes. Like I, I get that's the same kind of feeling I get sometimes. Like, from me? Yeah. Not okay. from you or that's I'll around that. you. No, but I like, like that. somebody on, on, behind you or something pulled a fire alarm or maybe even you just pulled it on your own back yeah. and it's just like there's like. There is that energy. I've never heard anything even close to that, but that's pretty right on. And sometimes it's the energy of me coming in. I live in New York now. So and in, in Manhattan, I do. And it's a much better speed for me because I'll, I'll zip around. Village, right? Yeah, in Greenwich Village. And then I'll zip around to do three, four, five sets in a night. And that is a better energy for me to just like run from the subway to the club, go right up, do the set, leave, like get paid, talk to the people, then leave, run to the subway, get on the subway, get out of the, go to a different. That's kind of, I feel more comfortable in that energy. And I think that was always a problem for me in Los Angeles was that. I had that energy, but here it's a lot more laid back. Not just that Cali attitude, but also, you know, you do one show in a night, maybe two yeah. shows. And if you're going to do two, it's like a spot at the improv and you'll make your way up to the Laugh Factory. So there's no rush. There's yeah, no hurry. Yeah. There's no there's need no for any energy like that. And then yeah, that It's more energy, hype than hustle. It's more hype than hustle. There's yeah, not, that's a good point. There's that's no a great hustle energy. Yeah, and so the hustle energy, with, but that also works when you do film and television, especially television, because they are moving quickly. They need every, you know, minute costs this amount of money, and so they appreciate that I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go, and then I just riff like three, you know, five, six lines. Okay, is that good? Let's do it. All right, let's get the cameras in a different position, and you have moments of um, chilling and and relaxing on a film set, and sometimes people say it's it's a lot of waiting. But as soon as the knock comes on the trailer door, you got to quickly get into it and go. And you, they need you on set right away. And you go in front of the camera and then boom, you got to go. But do you feel like, like I felt like, and I get, I, I don't know, I hope I'm not being judgmental, but I've always, I always feel like you're like, you remind me of like a character. Like you remind me of like a. It feels a little judgmental. Does it? Right you. No, no, no. I think that's right. I mean, here's. Do you the, ever feel like that? No, here's, here's the sort of character is like, I think it's funny. Like you, I feel, I feel like you're so talented, man. I mean, any of the films I've seen you, you in, anytime you. I've ever seen you perform, I'm Thank like, you. I don't know what is going on inside of this dude. Like this guy brought yeah. his own moons, you know. Like this guy's doing his, his own thing. But there's, you know, I think my character would be. It's just I'm I I'm equal parts eccentric and kind of ostentatious, but all of that is because I think it's funny. 
It's like, I don't really care how I look. I'd rather dress in a way that makes me laugh and other people laugh. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of fun. And then Kate, um, she sort of, that's my wife. Kate is like, um, you know, also thinks it's funny. And she kind of likes that I dress like this just because... It's just clearly I don't give a fuck. You, you know? remind me of like kind of an Ignatius Riley. Do you remember? Can you bring that character up? But f- more handsome. Um, he's like <laughs> from Confederacy ever, of Dantes. Do you remember that? Do you ever, yeah, yeah. Do you, you like ever feel? Do you ever? Do you ever feel? Because you're the only person I know that kind of rocks a mullet. You know. Yeah. And so, do you ever feel a little within the context of your accent and your sort of whole vibe? Do you ever feel kind of like a character or no? No, I feel like. I felt or is like that I, sort of true to who you are in your background? I think in my heart it makes me feel good having longer hair. Nice. Um, and I always had like a big nose when I was like, I've always, I still have it. And uh, <laughs> I don't see that, well, but maybe thanks, it's there. Uh, a lot of brothers and sisters will come over to see what's up when I'm wandering around. <laughs> so that's how I know. Sometimes a bird will stop down here, yeah, you, you know, kind of look up. Just it. Get close. <laughs> that's when you know. But so I think for me, having long, I would see pictures of myself with shorter hair, and it would make me feel. I don't know, longer hair, I feel like I can just hide a little bit. You know, I just feel sometimes like I need a little bit more space from the world a little bit. That's real that's interesting because there are I think those are two types of comedians. There's sort of a comedian that really actually in real life doesn't want to be gregarious and outgoing and on and all that kind of stuff. And maybe even feels a little bit socially awkward. And then it sounds like you take some pains to sort of say, okay, I need, you know, a little bit of space here, a little bit of that. And I sort of, I do a lot of things. I I don't at all feel like I have to be on all the time, as you can tell right now. But I do kind of, um, I do exude this, uh, yeah, fire alarm or just like a truly nihilistic, don't give a fuck kind of thing. But I'll I'll change my appearance based on... um, uh, based on characters that I'm playing a lot. Yeah. So the first time I had long hair was for a character that had just gotten out of jail. And that for me, that's my fire alarm. Uh, that's the fire alarm going off. It uh, needs new batteries. And I, I, I had, um, uh, I grew long hair for it and I kind of grew a beard. And then I sort of, some people started to say, oh, that's in fact, Chelsea Handler was like, you look a lot better with, uh, uh, longer hair because your head is so oblong, you know, and I think that's true. Yeah, you so get that extended kinda, cap. Yeah, kinda. then I'll kind of stick with it, and then Kate just kind of likes this. Uh, um, Kate just kind of likes the. She likes a six and a half o'clock shadow. Mm-hmm. So I usually kind of keep that going. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm less concerned about my appearance. Like I'll cut weight for a role, or I when I did Silicon Valley, I always gained weight for that character for Ehrlich. But just being like so like out, like you're out, you seem like outspoken, even like at your spirit kind of. I like Like that. If that makes any sense. Does it, is that, is it you? Is it just you? Or do you feel like you like? No, that's me. Because it would seem exhausting to be able, like I, I, you know, it's like a, it's like when you see a guy like have those plates on the thing. Yeah. You know, on the spikes, on those things uh, yeah, that they yeah, usually yeah. cut meat plates, off of or whatever. Which yeah. I can do, by the way. Can you really? Yeah, I oh, do yeah. a lot of circus art stuff actually in yeah. my act. Right, that's perfect. That makes perfect sense. But I can spin plates and I juggle cigar boxes and I'm a juggler. And <laughs> and my act now is like this one-man philosophy circus. It's like I have a ventriloquist dummy with a smaller ventriloquist dummy with a smaller ventriloquist dummy that has a slightly larger ventriloquist dummy. And the audience plays the slide <laughs> trombone while I do one-liners, and there's juggling and glow-in-the-dark juggling, 
Right. So you have you need that much to be going on. I think to feel that's what's fun for me. And I also love that you. show. I love the idea of it being a real like a show. So I have I have more PT Barnum in me than Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Let me put it that way. And so that for me is kind of yeah, that's my speed. I also was um uh, born with an arteriovenous malformation in your so heart? No, it's it's a brain condition where there's a malformation in your brain in this case it was in my frontal lobe. And because the brain's so amazing, the elasticity of it allows it to sort of figure out how to act as a normal human being, but um, uh, with less brain matter. And what we found, because I have like a team of doctors that sort of monitor me and have really? since 2010, because I have a, um, I had the AVM hemorrhaged and I had to go and get it removed. So I have a golf ball sized piece of my brain that they took out. So right in my frontal lobe, there's like, you know, your brain the front's is whole. important. That's a top. That's a. And so what I think happened was I have less frontal lobe than other people. So it has to work double time. So I take a lot of medication, both to prevent seizures. And then one of the medications is to prevent seizures. It has seizure preventative um, like components to it, but it's also to control mania. Wow. And I'm prone to manic episodes. So I'm not bipolar. I'm not like a, um, I get depressed and then I. But I am prone to manic episodes if I lapse and the and those manic episodes are like your brain just is moving so quickly and you don't know you're in a manic episode and you think, oh, well, this must be this and it connects to this and this is this. And so sometimes I think that that may have contributed a little bit in addition to how hard I worked and my work ethic. Within, That's a bad mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just not your work ethic, but when you have to work really hard and you have some mental uncomfort going on and it's getting heavy. It mix is scary, isn't it? Yeah, and it can, it can also just be a lot of, can just be a go, go, go mentality. But I wonder, do I have that level of work ethic because I'm manic? Ah. Or does working that hard sort of egg on the mania? Um, but I do really well, especially on the medication. It's just that, um, you know, that manic energy, I think in some ways... Uh, oh, I would. To, well, I'd take to, a dose right now if you had. You know, what I'm saying there were times where I would take a dose of that if you had it. Yeah, too. Um, right, because you have so much going on. Yeah, I'd want a little manic energy. Oh, Jesus. see, this, so this is the opposite. So the medication kind of pulls pulls that. Do you ever back. monitor the medicine just to see? Okay, maybe I'll take. You know, do five less millis I so I can do what no, I can do. The, the only no, no, because I can do what I can do on the medication. Okay. it's that if I start to get manic, then I'll take it more of it. I see. So it's almost like a. And um, wow, man! I think for a long wild. time, and now I don't smoke weed. It's pretty weird. Um, now I, right now, I'm not smoking weed, and I also. Hey, Nick, in, somebody's here. And I was also. Uh, hi. Good. We're doing a show. What are they with? That's okay. What is it? You go with the church? Uh, no, uh, my name is Kevin. Uh, this is Jason. We're actually with T-Mobile, and we're um, we're just here to, to let you know that we've recently upgraded our network. I'm just here to tell you, I'm I'm Verizon, and I, not only do I have Verizon, I work for them. So I'm going to ask you guys to leave immediately. Yeah. Thank you, big fan of your you guys, but not your network. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have the largest 5G network. Sure. Thank you. We'll see you. Right. Thank you guys. That's all right. Hi, Taylor. That's the T and T Mobile. Let's get your tails out of here. You're so nice. I, I love too were, when you were like y'all from the church. That there was I an energy. The church. That first guy was throwing church energy. Yeah, he did have church energy. I and mean, then he had the little backup guy yeah, who was I'm in recovery I, energy. I like how he kind of went around. Guy. Yeah, 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 dude. Can I? Am I part of it now? 
And the original guy did. He was wearing exactly what you would wear if you were like, so are you are you familiar with Jesus Christ yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and the Latter-day yeah. Saints, or you just know about Jesus? Because yeah. we want to talk to you about all the Latter-day Saints. We're talking Saints. about the Latter-day Saints. You know, I'm talking Bob Yebear, Pat Swilling. I mean, we want to talk about all the greats, man. Drew Brees. Yeah, um, <laughs> the greats. They used to, bro. One time, uh, Jehovah's Witness came over when I was in Tucson, and I had, like, no friends, Did man. Did you grow up religious? Mm, I grew up going to church sometimes. Okay. So, but there was a lot of like just religion in the area. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people. Because when yeah, you have that is that area, right? Yeah. And when you have smaller environments, people don't have as many places to go get together. So it's yeah. like a lot of times church is a place also where you just get to see. Yeah, other yeah. People. It's community more than it's about the God of it. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah. A lot totally. of times you'll go and you take your kids because they get to play with other kids. Right. Um, but yeah, this man, when I lived in Tucson, I was really struggling in college. And uh, this man. You said you didn't have a lot of friends? Yeah, I was just like real depressed and I just didn't have a lot of friends. And this uh, Jehovah's Witness would come over and then I had video games out. And then he was definitely slacking for the Lord because he would come slacking over. Slacking for the Lord was bro, also the come... name of his autobiography. <laughs> yeah, probably. Slacking for the Lord. Bro, he would come over and just play video games, dude. That's so good. So it was almost like you're like, I get a friend uh, out of God, and he's like, and I get to play video games. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good, it's a symbiotic relationship. So that's interesting to me that you, you know, you seem a little bit, and tell me if if, if this is not the case. No, it's okay. I already um, did that to you once. So yeah, right, okay. exactly. No, but I think this is actually an interesting thing that we like know each other, but don't know that much about each other. Yeah. So um, I, I just would never have taken you as a guy that had any kind of depression, any sort of feelings of like, I could use a little bit more manic energy, any kind of with longer hair, glasses or a scarf, I give myself a little space from there. To me, you felt like kind of a crazy good time guy who was, you know, down to party whenever, but that wasn't, that wasn't your identity. It's just like you were sort of comfortable in any situation, whatever. And that's sort of how I see you when you're on stage is you have this energy of, that with the audience yeah so that's really interesting because i would say that i'm as quick to get i feel as comfortable with people on stage as i do off stage i feel pretty comfortable being out and about kate a lot of times is like tj you have to stop burping in public right like you just burped like 10 20 times right. and you're just passing by people and i'm very loud so a lot of times she's yeah like, i've heard that yeah <laughs> i'm not joking i was talking to one of my friends on the way over here and he's like oh i see that guy in our neighborhood sometimes he's always really loud on his is phone. that real and he was starting an ice cream parlor that's what my buddy said yeah. where was it in, in new york or in new york yeah really and i said i don't know i said i just you know, I said, I don't know. What's him the ice that cream well. parlor? Because I want to go and support if he opens it up. No, uh, no, he said you were starting one, it sounded like. But he also could have been eavesdropping from somewhere. <laughs> I, I have so. never intended on starting an ice cream parlor, but I definitely would have said I could something see like you in that. There. Um, yeah, I think Scoops. that's the problem is I don't. I'm I'm not as aware of my surroundings. I'm just aware of like what is the mission statement? What are we trying to do? Or how are we having fun? So it's not really a, so you so it's not like a thing you're putting on. It's just that's who you no. are. No, and, and I if really, anything, it's even something that's even more like in your system. If you have, I mean, yeah. that's wild, bro. If they took that, that part wild? of your lobe, I can't even imagine yeah. that. It's pretty crazy, and I never even noticed anything about it or thought anything of it until it became sort of like a medical emergency because that. I did a bit on, about it on um, This Is Not Happening, but that um, surgery, they came in and they go, 
so this is a pretty serious like surgery and i was like yeah i assume you're opening up my fucking head (laughs) and uh and they sort of were like uh so about it's a 10 percent fatality rate so about one in 10 people who get this surgery done die and i was like okay what happens if i don't get the surgery because it was elective he said you don't have to get it so this is one out of 10 people die um or you don't you don't have to get it i said well what happens if you don't get it and he was like "Mm, you'll probably die in your mid-30s and i was like Let's roll the dice and get the surgery done, yeah. right? One out of ten ain't bad, yeah, my yeah. opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a tenthedrachyhedron. That's yeah. some Dungeons and Dragons yeah. shit right there. That's the ten-sided die. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, I did I think it take that, away any of your hit points? You think after you got it? Like, yeah. is there times where you could feel an idea kind of going, and then there's just like, oh, so that's a great point. So what I said was, I said, um, you know, I said. So the, um, uh, the the main thing I want to ask you is, will I still be funny after the operation? And wow. the guy was like, what? And I said, like, if I get the operation, will I still be funny? Because that's my work. I'm a comedian. And he goes, I mean, does it, he almost like, does it matter? Don't you want to like live and not have a brain hemorrhage? And he said, I mean, I assume so. I don't, you know, you're not using that part of your brain now. It was malformed in the womb. So wow. when we remove it, we're not removing any of your like cognitive efficiencies. You're not cognitively deficient right now. So we wouldn't see why taking out a part of your brain that you don't use would. So, cause I think so. I said, cause if it's not going to make me funny, I'd kind of almost rather do the maybe die in your mid thirties thing. And that floored the whole room. Damn. All of the doctors were like, that doesn't seem like something we'd ever really heard. Yeah, it doesn't check out. The yeah, yeah, because you get. <laughs> no, you is, can that, tr- that, is a that lot true of when you said that, though? Did you really Yeah, of think course, that? of course. Yeah. But I also have a very um, interesting relationship with death, both like philosophically and following some philosophers, specifically Epicurus, which he has this great quote, which is like, because um, people would have always come to him who were afraid of death, which was mostly actually in Greece noblemen and people of great wealth because they kind of knew that all the church like stuff was bullshit mm-hmm. but yeah that's a totally i mean that's you know it's like zeus and all that era of stuff but they would be scared about it and so they would say you know i'm afraid of death and he would say why they had when, stuff too yeah you don't want to die if you have stuff right exactly if you don't have anything you're like i can let's check out a little yeah, earlier yeah let's see what's going um, on here yeah let's see what's, let's, what yeah, the next step see. is yeah. Um, that's hilarious. Maybe I'll get a car in heaven. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, know, I, I don't have to take the fucking bus here on earth. Yeah. And so, um, he says that, uh, when you are death is not. And when death is, you are not. So you really never cross paths with wow. death. So why would you even worry about it or fear it? Cause you'll never encounter it. And so I, I was studying that stuff like uh, on my own in, uh, high school and then kind of became an absurdist and sort of a nihilist as I entered college. Definitely. And uh, yeah, right. You <laughs> can point, yeah. feel it. Oh, you can feel if that. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. If other people are picking for the I basketball the, team in PE and you're like, you know, uh, you and death never really meet each other. You just kind of cross paths. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. But I'm quite that. But like, like, I'm a guy God. that did. So I did the emoji movie in part because I like to entertain children. I want those movies to be funny. Um, so that the parents don't want to like beat themselves over the head with a sledgehammer because they have to watch those movies all the time. If a yeah. kid likes a movie, they're watching it over and over and oh, over. Oh, yeah. But I also do, excuse me, I did that movie, um, Yogi Bear 3D, 
and I did Transformers, and I did um, the Emoji Movie because I want a funny credit for my stand-up. So now when mm. I get introduced, now you don't introduce me as like T.J. Miller from Deadpool or Silicon Valley. It's you know young kids sometimes will come up to me and they'll be like, um, so. Um, so how do you want me to introduce you? And you can tell they kind of are like, I want to get this right. So let me just, be, you know, get really clear. Because they're expecting me to say like, well, I'll just put, do this and this and this or whatever that, whatever people do there. And, and I'll be like, um, just the star of the Emoji movie. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> but what do you, what do you want me to introduce? Is that what you want me to introduce <laughs> yeah. you as? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then to kind of fuck with them, I'll go. But I mean, really hit star, like. The star <laughs> of the emoji movie, okay? And I, it's good to emphasize emoji also because that's what the movie's about. Oh, and you you can hit you can hit movie also because it is a movie. So just but really hit star. So the star of the emoji movie. This guy's and losing just, his mind. I know he's up just there. like, is he serious? Is he kidding? Is he whatever? But I always fin I always follow that up with like, I honestly don't give a shit clearly because I'm telling you the emoji movie, and. So that's kind of how I approach life. It's like I'll do entire films sort of for the service of the joke of a stand-up credit being that thing. So that's kind of my approach to life in general is I really don't take it seriously. And people say, don't take life seriously. It's like, no, I really do not take any of it seriously. Wow. It's truly, I'm an absurdist. And it's really, really fun. But so within the With context of what you asked about the um, the doctors, and is that true that you... I really was sort of saying, if I can be who I am and continue to make people laugh, because that's what's important to me, not to be oh, famous, yeah. not to have people like me or laugh at like laugh at the things that I say, but it's to make people happy. If I only have, uh, I forget how old I was then, but it was like, if I only have a decade or so left to keep doing what I'm doing now, and I feel so blessed to be doing and I would only say blessed on your podcast because it feels appropriate I appreciate that within the oh, I'll bring so. the guys right back in yeah <laughs> come back in we're feeling blessed in here blessed <laughs> enough to try out T-Mobile's national network hey Verizon is the only network that streams straight to the Lord though. <laughs> that's right that? I'm sorry to, we start pitching to them we're like you get unlimited data and unlimited wishes about what your heaven will be like we should have man God yeah. so I sort of um <laughs> I, I seriously am. I was like, I'm so blessed. Unlimited <laughs> wishes, but yeah. you're in heaven. Yeah. Data and wishes. <laughs> also, you don't get wishes in heaven. That's a genie. I don't know where the <laughs> fuck that came from. Dude, it could be your heaven, though. It could happen if yeah, you want it. Yeah, it could be the wishes. Uh, you could get to the wish in heaven, the unlimited yeah. data and wish in heaven. <laughs> Dude, yeah. uh, so I, uh, but I, um, yeah, I think I was very, very ser deadly serious, in fact, that I would rather continue to make people happy and do what I feel so lucky to be doing um, than kind of no longer be funny and just live longer. Yeah. I just, I've never understood why that is the goal to just live as long as you can. It's not some race. It's not the competition or anything like that. So you should really want to live, you know, 20, 20, in, yeah. in 20 years more with purpose, with sort of reward, with feeling in and of yourself, with kind of self-efficacy and th those things, rather than just go like 50 years to then retire and go on cruise ships. Now, if that's living purposefully, I talk about this in my act a little bit, if living purposefully is understanding- Because it can change from person to person. If, uh, you know, I look at somebody who works at State Farm and I don't think like, oh geez, nine to five, two weeks of vacation, and then you retire and go on carnival cruises. 
And it's like, no, if that person is smart, what they'll do is say, I work in an industry where I help people feel safer, where when the inevitable happens, it doesn't cripple them financially. I have a consistent job so I can consistently provide for my family and see my wife. Right, adding purpose to their life. Yeah, yeah. And, and be able to, to, to be present for my relationship. And then all I want to do is go on Carnival Cruise Lines and see the world. There's nothing better. It's unlimited yeah. seafood. Yeah, and You pineapple. get as many scallops and pineapple. And I usually do a scallop <laughs> pineapple sort of mix. Yeah. Take two rings of pineapple, put the scallops in between, and that's my scallop oh, pineapple yeah. sandwich. Uh, but I think, so I don't, I think everybody can can sort of live with purpose and live well and people sometimes look at me and they go oh wow you know i mean you just could you couldn't have a better situation than you than tj and it's it's like you know kate and i have a really like i i kate and i have so much fun that i went before the podcast to part of a movie with her wow so she wanted to see this movie and i just wanted to go so we could like see 20 minutes of it together. I was like, I'm going to take off. So I'm not late to the podcast. Cause we got to leave later too. Cause she's going to Dallas with me, but that's very rare. She doesn't go. So I only see Kate three days a week. So, because like you, I'm on the road every weekend. Do you tour every yeah, I weekend? See you're touring a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I see you crisscrossing also. Yeah. Same. Uh, well, quick question to get back. I just want to, so do you find though that sometimes like it, does it ever affect like your, because you, the way you are is very unique. You agree with that? Yeah, I would say so, but and the not, way and, you are is very unique. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, man. And um, no, that's true. It's not. It's not like a compliment because you gave me a compliment. Yeah, it's just like I think the best stand-ups really. I mean, we all talk about having our own unique voice, but the best stand-ups have sort of slowly, not even whittled down, but molded and shaped what it is that makes them wholly unique into a funny version of that that yeah. they can share with an audience on stage well i never wanted i remember when i was i always like i don't want i don't care if they remember a joke i just want them to remember me that's what that's I so smart i mean that that's i just what wanted Allen to be remembered was, and he was like or not even remember i just wanted to be yeah what did he say going well I, I think this is interesting and tell me if you agree that people don't go to see the material they go to see you yeah and so you can have the best material in the world you can mitch hedberg has some of the greatest one-liners Stephen wright but the, the way that they were that's what you're really remembering. You can quote jokes, but you wouldn't be able to quote jokes if that was just a not memorable person. And then some people figure that out, and maybe they're not super hilarious, but they, they decide, I'm going to stop being me and be Larry the Cable Guy. Right. And now I own a jet and live on a thousand acres. A or jet whatever. that you can grill on top of, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Definitely. <laughs> uh, and so... Um, it is. I think it's that. It's not your material. It's you. And a big part of, I think, why I'm successful in uh, film and television is I sort of seem like, and I really have this energy in real life, like you and I would be friends. That's to everybody watching. They're like, oh, he's really funny. But they're like, I bet I'd get along with that guy, you know? And um, that has more to do with me. And And I do this all the time. I don't look, I wouldn't say I talk to strangers all the time, but I'm always joking with people not to get laughs, but because I want to add to their day. So like, right. um, I to, see what you're saying. Yeah. And to, I'm sure you do the same because yeah, just, sometimes yeah, I'll definitely check in with people as much as I can when I'm just wandering around in person Yeah, just to get a, 
yeah, tell somebody not, something nice, make somebody smile, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love giving I love best. giving compliments, especially to girls. You yeah, know? and I do it a lot when I'm with Kate, so that they immediately know, like, oh, he's not being creepy, right? Because I don't do it in a creepy way, but sometimes if you're like, yeah, it's not incredible. like you send a raven over to fucking drop a note <laughs> into a lady's. Yeah, it's almost always a crow, and so you know, I think that one of the things that I do like doing is kind of joking with people, or I love to ask people questions that they aren't usually asked. Oh, so yeah. I, I sort of, I'm very interested in people in the component of, you know, I, I'll say to, if I go and see a movie, I'll say, what have you seen that you like? And it's this, and then I'll ask them, how is Impractical Jokers doing? And then they'll, he'll say, you know what? It's not doing as well, to be honest with you. And I was like, do you think that's because this is the arc light? Or do you think that that might be happening across the board? And he's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess the arc light, Maybe wouldn't be the demographic, but you know what? We get this, this, and this, and those all did really well. I'm like, do you think it's because you see it for free? Like, it's on TV, and it's on TV a lot. And he, and he was like, "Yeah, that's a really good point. It's kind of free." And then now you're asking them to pay for it. And I say, "Do you think that they kind of basically taught people we do this for you for free? You can just turn us on whenever." And now they're saying like, "You got to leave your house, get in your car, yeah, go to the." And you're going to want popcorn and all that stuff. And he goes, yeah, I do. I think that's the case. And then he goes from being. Who is he? He's the tic- the guy taking the tickets, okay. selling tickets. Right. So then he goes from a ticket taker and the guy working behind the computer right. to now somebody who Who's said. thinking about the world that they're working and in. And also uh, just gave me an analysis that only he can really give. Right. And I, I could see him be like. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I'm like, I think you're right. And then there's this great moment where he's just like, badass, dude. I, I do. Yeah, I connected the dots for this guy who's dressed like a fucking lunatic. Yeah. And I think is from the, I think he's the star of the Emoji movie. <laughs> and, um, and the, you, the star. Yeah, that's right. You're right. I got to start telling him to hit the. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you got to hit each of them at different levels. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to draw out a chart that's like, we want the sort of really high. Star has got to be a little bit higher. Emoji here, because we want him to know what this movie's about. But movie doesn't, it can kind of be here, because they know it's a movie. It's good to remind them. So the star. <laughs> And then actually, of can be down here. Let's put of here. So yeah, let's go bear. The star. Uh, the <laughs> actually do this as a half. The the emoji movie. Yeah, let's get that going. I'll play. I play an audio recording for him that I did, and I'm just like, let me text this to you from my work phone, so you have it and you can think about it before you go on stage. This is bad news. This podcast is going to ruin many an opener's life throughout the next decade. Um, do you think though? Do you think so? With your energy, the way that you are, it's a unique way. Do you think that it doesn't fit sometimes, like in the template of things? Yeah, but I try and adjust because the last thing I want is for people to be uncomfortable. Because again, I'm not really focused on me as much. If anything, I'm focused too much on other people. I hate to let people down. Kate said uh, last night I had to cancel um, a show, and I hate canceling shows. Yeah. And she said you have to be able to cancel the show. You're double booked. You're, you're not going to be able to do it. I need you in this situation. And so then I canceled and the the booker, Jay Davis, who's awesome and is always he's one of those guys that believes in me, texts me every month or so to be like, hey, I know you're in New York, but let me know when you're in Los Angeles. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He's just a really good dude and cares a lot about comedy. So I felt bad canceled, but he was totally cool. He was like, no problem. Let me know when you get back. So Kate has to sometimes remind me like it's okay to let people down um, when you need to 
sort of put yourself first. So she'll actually say, yeah, she sounds like you a real need to great. put yourself first a little bit more, TJ. Wow. You know, I appreciate that you're doing what you're doing, but you got to think about putting yourself first because otherwise your family's pulling you in one direction, your friends are pulling you in one direction, the bookers are pulling you in another direction, your agents are pulling you in another direction. Sometimes it's just got to be about me and you. Sometimes it's just got to be about you. Yeah. Hey there. This is a good episode. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I have to let you know, though, that inside of my pants, there's something unique. And I'm talking about Mac Weldon. And that's not a man. It is a man's name, but probably the closest a man will ever get to my junk. It is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mac Weldon does indeed offer industry-leading underwear. They are the Tony Stewart of underwear, these things. And they're so just, they grip you, they hold you. Where are you going to work? What do you got to do? You got to babysit? What do you got to do, huh? You got to dig in the sand and look for something? Somebody lost something? You could do it. You got to borrow a shovel or something from a neighbor? Put these on before you go over there. Be a man. They are the one-stop shop for men's basics of all kinds. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. Now, I haven't experienced the other their accoutrement pieces, but they have a line of silver underwear that are naturally anti-microbial. That means they eliminate odor. So if you stink, voila, now you don't. Mack Weldon really does value its loyal customers. That's why they've created the Weldon Blue Loyalty Program. Simply create an account. It's totally free. Place an order and never pay shipping again. Once you purchase $200 worth of products from Mack Weldon, not only will you continue to receive free shipping, but you will also start saving 20% on every order you make for the next year. Hmm. This also grants you access to new products before they're released to anyone else. I love my Mack Weldon. I have them on right now. My junk feels secure. I feel like I could do I could do HVAC work. I have to let you know, for 20% off your first order, visit Mack Weldon, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, and enter promo code Theo. If you are a man and you have genitals and butt, take care of them. And these will be the greatest supplement you add to your crotch and rear. I'm not joking. MacWeldon.com. Enter promo code Theo. And now back to the episode. Hate to interrupt you, but I need to because I'm not sure if you got any skills or not. You know, a lot of times I wonder who's listening. What are they doing? Do they can they do a recipe? Can they build a fire? You know what I'm saying? Could they make a Kool-Aid? Could they draw an art? And I don't know. That's why Skillshare is bringing you this episode. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. You'll discover countless ways to fuel your career, your creativity, and your curiosity. There are classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, and even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover a new passion or start a little side hustle, do this. You know what I'm saying? Make a little something over there. Do that. Sell that. Get that. Or gain professional skills. Skillshare is there to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching new goals. Are you a freelancer? Try bookkeeping for freelancers. How to handle your finances. 
one of their most popular courses. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today. Our listeners get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering this past weekend listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Theo Vaughn. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Theo Vaughn to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Theo Vaughn. And do you, I feel like, so right now, are you going through like a rebuilding phase in your work? I feel like, because you're getting back out on the road. Yeah, I mean, now I am wholly focused on stand-up because... Just because I, I think, started to see like different, I was like, oh, wow, TJ yeah, Miller's touring I, I mean, I'm touring like 50 weeks out of the year, and I take time off when it makes sense to be with Kate. Or, really good news that I got yesterday, the film that I did with Drew Barrymore got into the Tribeca Film Festival. That's in New York City. I don't, I only have to walk 15 minutes to get there. That's awesome. And that's great, because I'm going to take those two weeks, sort of the weekends on either, like, move those, and then take those two weeks... And it's they're the perfect clubs because it's helium in Philadelphia, and then um, uh, Omaha. Which do you work the Omaha Funny Bone with yeah, Colleen Quinn? Colleen uh, Quinn, sweet. she's so sweet, and she officiated our wedding. Did you really? She married Kate and me. And here's the, the strangest redhead, part. Right? Yeah, and here's the strangest part. She's hot, too. Kate. Yeah, she's beautiful. Kate. Um, Kate chose that. I didn't say, hey, I love this comedy club owner. Kate had visited a couple times with me, and she's like, she just has this energy I really want. So I was lucky. It's that club, and then another club that the, I'm very close to those people that are sort of booking and own those clubs. And um, so I'm going to move that chunk and then just be in New York for the Tribeca Film Festival. And I'll do sets in New York. I all the time will do three, four, five. It's a big part of why I moved there. Right. And... Um, but outside of that, I'm touring every weekend because I realized that I was doing so much film and television stuff that um, just with regards to stand-up, that maximum during Silicon Valley, I could really do a sort of a bus tour and then maybe some clubs, but that's just a month. That's just 30 shows. Right. It's, it's just 35 shows out of the year. You know, I'll, you do 35 shows in six weeks when you're when you're on the road and... So now I'm really trying to put in the time and grind and, and hustle enough to not just be a really good comedian, but hopefully be a great comedian. Wow. But, and you know how much work that takes, you know? It takes a lot of work. And then there's the road is, has a whole different skill set. Like, I'm so in awe of you guys in the way I did Adam Ray's podcast, I just did Tiger Belly. I'm really in awe of the way that you guys have the business acumen to have built these podcasts. Because I, I, what I love about them is. It helps your touring, but it really does connect with your audience and you're providing something with them that's sort of stand-up-esque, but also has a lot to do with pulling back the curtain saying, this is Theo Vaughn and this is Theo Vaughn with different people. Yeah. And this is what Theo Vaughn is interested in about the other people and this is what comes. I think that's really amazing. Yeah, it's a place and, I feel like I don't have to be scared a lot of times. Sometimes it's still kind of scary, you know? Like, yeah, of course, I but, would assume. Yeah, I, I definitely, or it's, and it surely started out that way doing podcasting was like a place I felt like that I didn't have to be... I don't know. Just it's just it's such a life's hard to learn by yourself, you know. And yeah. a lot of people these days are by are, a lot of us are a lot of people are kind of by themselves or feel that way. I think, yes, you know? especially with social media, which was supposed to connect us. I know that's just you online looking at people that couldn't be further away from you and completely anonymous. It's very very strange. Yeah, so I think podcasting does a little bit. It's a little bit more. Yeah, like it's long form. It's like you get to. 
you kind of get to enjoy someone for who they, for what they are and what they aren't, you know, it's like, you just yeah. get to, it's almost a, it's kind of like a lesson, a little bit in acceptance. Even when I watch other guys' podcasts and stuff, it's like, man, I might not agree with everything or that they say, or some of their ideas and stuff, but you know, I care, I do care about that person. So yeah, it's like, it's you get that, into uh, it, you know, it's that, uh, I don't agree with you say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. Yeah. So, so you really are kind of, yeah, it, that's Owen Benjamin. I think wrote really that on his tomb, thing. didn't he? Yeah, I think he definitely <laughs> did. It was on his Tumblr. I, yeah, sorry, I watch sorry. his Tumblr and I steal all that stuff and I use it in conversation. It's mostly how is most Tumblr not a new site? Yeah, right. Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I like Tumblr and Twitter. Yeah, uh, we had a video question that came in. Uh, let's see it. Let's hit it. Because do they now know that um, we're on the this air? Lady? She looks Canadian. No, we put it out on social media. These are all, they knew you were coming in. Yeah, oh, nothing's live. We just oh, put so it out for there. The last coming in. This is great. Yeah. I love that you said, did she look Canadian? She does kind of look Canadian. Mm -hmm. Happy, joyous, outdoors. There's wood in the background. Yellow hat. She's got a scarf like you. Wants mm -hmm. a little space from, yeah, the, from the trees. Wants a, yeah, wants a little space <laughs> from the space she's in. Yeah, space from the space. Hi, TJ. Hi, Theo. My question's Hi. for TJ. Can she I hear me? Can turn it up? No. Just kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> People ask that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Eddie Bravo talked like back. Like a video person. question. Eddie like... Bravo talked back someone for 11 minutes straight before we realized really? it was a video. Yeah. Hi, TJ. Hi, Theo. My Hi. question's for TJ. I was wondering, what was the first sandwich that you fell in love with? Was that first what? She's Armoire? definitely not Canadian. She said sandwich. Oh, I like, do you think she said armoire? I did. Ah! The first armoire I fell in love with was is my parents, uh, my parents, uh, not bedroom, but it was in the second floor, right sort in the center. And I thought, is that an armoire? Is that, is that a chest of drawers? What is that? And my mother said, no, that's an armoire. And I said, it was love at first chest. Um, no, I, first sandwich I ever fell in love with, I think, yeah, you know, there's this sushi restaurant in Greenwich Village. We have a couple places that we go and we eat and we feel safe. Actually, I relate to you a little bit in what you're saying um, in New York and in general, but it's a little bit more to do with feeling scared that people are, I mean, it doesn't freak me out so much, but the fact that that guy's like, he was really loud and is he starting an ice cream parlor? That reminds me of something that I don't think about very often, which is I'm famous. People kind of know who I am. Right. And so we really pick and choose, we can curate where we go. So we don't go to many places in New York. There's a jazz club that we feel very safe. There's another great jazz club, but we don't go there because that doesn't feel safe to us. It's younger people drinking, people are drinking a lot more. It's not as much about the jazz. So we can't go places where we become the focus. And then there's certain restaurants. There's a restaurant called Fort Charles Prime Rib. You can't really get a reservation there. You're not allowed to take pictures or talk to other customers really unless they're engaged engaged and you're connected by the maitre d there's only 12 tables there's a sushi restaurant that we go to that only has 14 seats it's a sushi bar and it's just two employees and then this uh it's called omakase room by tatsu and tatsu is the chef and he's so you guys pick and choose great, where you guys spend time we really do but the last course it's omakase so it's an 18 course meal each course is just a piece of sushi mm -hmm. and the last piece is his uni it's the eel oh, and he yeah. torches it but also grills it and does it in a way, and the first time I had it, immediately I um, I went back to my childhood when my mother used to make a tuna fish sandwich um, on white bread mm. with the crust. And it, it tasted exactly the same. And that was the first. I, I would always ask my mother, can I have a tuna fish sandwich? Because she had the perfect 
um, uh, like the tuna to mayo. Yeah, tuna to <laughs> mayo ratio. Right, that's it. The perfect yeah. ratio. You <laughs> can't have you, a novice. You, thing. I was struggling, and then he goes tuna to mayo. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's she had that exact oh, thing yeah. down, and sometimes she put relish in it, but really she oh, just love that. she had the ratio just perfect. That was the first one I fell in love with, and now as an adult, I'm really obsessed with the perfect hamburger, and that's all about ratio also. It's all about which elements you're putting and how much of it. Yeah. So there's a couple places that have the best burgers I've ever had in Los Angeles. Burger Lounge is really up there. And then over on Sunset. No. Yeah. Pasadena. There's one. In, there's one in Larchmont Village. What? In Pasadena, there's a Burger Lounge. Is, is there? there? It's yeah. so good. Yeah. It's all grass-fed beef. And then in. Um, Look, the gir- the cow can do whatever he wants on his own time, dude. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is the burger good, man? That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, that's true too. But the grass-fed for some reason tastes better to me. And then there's a place in New York called BRGR, which has sort of the perfect kind of, it's it's just perfect. And there's a place called Burger Joint, which is in a hotel. And that's a that's sort of perfect ratio, but a very different burger. And then there's a famous hamburger in another place where we feel safe called Manetta Tavern. Have you ever played the Comedy Cellar? Yeah. So it's right on that strip on McDougal. Mm. And Manetta Tavern has something called the Black Label Burger. And that's $36 to buy that burger. And it is well worth it. Mm. You get, you know, you can only get a couple a year or something, but it's the highest quality meat. It's Mm. just, it's the perfect. And you don't really put ketchup, mustard, or mayo on that. Mm. It's just kind of the burger. And then they do caramelized onions. The sashimi of burgers, huh? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, right. And then, you know, I do cheese with it because I Mm. think that's enough, you know? I could see you doing that. Yeah. Throw a little cheese on there. Look, I got to tell you straight up and straight honest that being healthy is the goal. Being fit is the goal. But being sore and in pain from workouts, not good. You could spend a ton of money to hire a personal masseuse or you could do what I did and check out PowerDot. PowerDot puts a modern spin on clinically proven muscle stimulation. A lot of times you need to go to like a fancy healthcare place to get stem for your muscles. But now with PowerDot, you can simply apply the different pads to the placement where your muscles are sore and you can stem them yourself. That's right. It also comes with an app that guides you through the process with pre-designed programs like massage and pad placement photos for places like your lower back. Don't just be putting them all on your cheeks and just electrocuting your smile. You want to take care of yourself. The app is also packed with tons of education. A news feed allows you to learn how the top athletes and physicians in the world are using PowerDot. I have mine on right now. Getting the top of my chest muscles. Got to take care of those. By removing the control unit and connecting via Bluetooth to your mobile phone, the actual unit itself fits easily into the palm of your hand. The app has preset programs like speed up recovery, improve athletic performance, reduce pain, and rehab from injury. And today, PowerDot is offering U.S. customers a free 30-day trial, plus an additional 20% off for our listeners. Go to PowerDot.com slash Theo. That's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T dot C-O-M slash T-H-E-O. And use the code Theo at checkout for 20% off of your order. That's 20% off. That's PowerDot.com slash Theo. And use code Theo for 20% off. Take care of your muscles. Take care of your own self. Use PowerDot. So you have, 
what was I? There was something I was gonna that I was. Did when, whenever you had the the oh, we got a question right here. What's up, Theo? What's up, TJ? What's up, Dylan from Arkansas. Had a quick question for you, TJ. Uh, do you have it in every one of your contracts that no matter what, you can do whatever the fuck you want with your facial hair? Kind of looks like you just wing it every time, and I think it's awesome. Gang, gang. Gang, bro. Yeah, yeah, Jin Yang. I love that he's from Arkansas. He's got, he's obviously on break. He's got the safety vest on. The safety ARK. first, baby. Um, you know, I think that's that, that's a good point. And also from a gentleman with great facial hair. Look at how he's right in the middle. He's got nothing going on. He's doing what I'm doing, which is taking off the soul patch. But he's got a good sort of length of beard. Yep. Good on you, man. Um, it's not in tell. my contract, but I think it's understood. Just like that I'm going to improvise. So you can't expect me to just do the lines as written. Even sometimes I'll say, I don't think this is the right line. So, yeah, I'll notice that even when I'm I'll watching right you on lines. there. I'm like, he had, there has to be. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of. I'm not going to come and say, I don't like that line. What else do you got? Because I'm a writer, I'll come and I'll say, okay, I don't think that's really the funniest line or it doesn't quite fit here. So here's about five other options that I came up with. And let's talk. Like, what do you think would be good? Um, so just like people expect that, they kind of know that I'm going to do with my appearance what I want. The Drew Barrymore film, um, uh, which is called The Stand-In. In The Stand-In, I did... Um, I, I cut weight and had the same facial hair and haircut as my former manager mm -hmm. um barry Katz. that's the no that's the um uh that's the character that i'm sort of playing is that is that manager that i split amicably with mm -hmm. um and uh and so they just knew i talked to the director about it but they just know i'm gonna have a very specific idea the weirdest thing that ever happened to me with regards to can i do whatever the fuck i want is i did this movie called ready player one i should say this picture um, called Ready Player One, and I was really nervous the night before. I just was like, I'm not really an actor. I'm a comedian. Should I be reading an acting book or something? I'm about to go in, and Steven Spielberg is going to direct me. And mm -hmm. so is that, should I, should I be more prepared? And I was just pacing outside of the weird estate that they put us up in around this fountain, just pacing, pacing, pacing. And finally, I was kind of like, um, you know what? you've never worried about this with any other film. Like just change your voice. That's what you do for everything. That's what you did for Weasel and Deadpool. That's what you do. You know, he sort of talks like this and then Ehrlich from Silicon Valley sort of talks more like this. And I was like, okay, let's figure out what the, what is the, and I thought about it. It's like, he's a bounty hunter in this video game world. He's obviously a nerd because he plays video games nonstop all the time. It's how he makes his money, everything. I said, well, who would be his idol? Boba Fett, right? I mean, obviously, that's who we all love from Star Wars, mm -hmm. and this guy's actually a bounty hunter. So I just studied Boba Fett's... Uh, he only has, like, five lines. Oh, wow, and just kind of cops, cops so, some of that vibe. Yeah, cop that vibe, and then went in, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to ask Steven Spielberg, you know, does he think this is a good idea? And if it's not, then I'm just going to say to him, you know, I'm open to anything else, and just let him kind of direct, you know? Yeah. He obviously is he handsome guy, ideas. Steven Spielberg? Is he a handsome guy? Theo Vaughn, first person for that to be. I've never not seen only that. I have no idea question, what he looks like. But also, um, yeah, let's pull him up. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, he's a handsome guy. He's definitely got an iconic look. He kind of, he's got a little bit of a look like you. Look, there he is. Oh, yeah, yeah, handsome guy, but like, he's got his own look. Oh, yeah, I could see him. He looked like David Spade's dad. 
He does look a little like David Spade's dad. We're getting some serious nodding in the booth with that observation. And that that like, means yeah, we're right on it. I could, I could, yeah, I <laughs> Nick does that. not nod very but much. But he's the nicest yeah. guy. But think how intimidating. So I go up to him. Oh, yeah, I'd be intimidated. And I, and I say, so I was thinking, you know, his idol, this IROC, this IROC's idol would be Boba Fett, you know, because that's the, so I, I thought I would change my voice and kind of talk like Boba Fett. What, what, what do you think about that? And he goes, yeah, I think that's great. Let's, yeah. Let's do that. Whatever you think. And it was so insane to have this guy kind of go, well, it's obviously whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Because to him, he hired you. I heard Woody Allen is like this. He hired you and hiring you was the last he wants to do with you. You're supposed to figure out what you're going to do. And he trusts that you're, that's the reason he hired you was, and even in that one, I said, Thank you, Steven Spielberg, for having me in your movie. And he said, oh, yeah, no, there's no one else. We wrote the part for you. And I thought, oh, my God, that's crazy. But it's that he thought about the movie. He's a fan of mine has been helping me throughout my career and was like, TJ will do great with this. So whatever he wants to do, he'll do with it. And it worked out really well. And he'll give you, you know, he'll give you notes and stuff, obviously. But it's really notes on how to improve your performance. But as far as the facial hair and that one. I did. They did give a fuck because I had to shave because I was in the game, and so I had to have 150 black dots all over my face. Damn. Wear one of those skin tight suits with the ping pong balls all over it, and a helmet with two little cameras and lights. That um, so I was all motion capture. Wow, you know, for the most part. So it was really that was a crazy experience. But I guess the real answer to that question is. Yes, I or no, I do not uh, in my contract say I can do whatever the fuck I want with my facial hair. Because sometimes Steven Spielberg wants you to be a clean baby boy's butt yeah. on your face. You got to show up diaper ready. Diaper ready. Do you find that like having, so having like a kind of a, you know, I don't know if it's like whimsical. Do you feel like whimsical a lot of times? Like, you know, we, getting back to like some of the mania and stuff you're talking about, like do you ever, do you feel like, that you're in control of yourself a lot of times, or does it feel like almost uncontrollable? Um, it's very rare that I would feel like, okay, I'm out of control here with my thinking, but it has happened. I missed a day on Silicon Valley because I had a manic episode that night. And when I say manic episode, I mean, I thought that there were birds flying by that were actually drones, and which were probably bats. And um, I thought I th- I really remember so vividly. I was loading an internet page, and it said, "Visit China, come see China, 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 China," and then it changed. Damn. So I thought for sure they were watching me through the. Um, that could have been real. The camera, I know for reals. Well, don't that's go. why I went to Shanghai recently. It's okay. That's why in the main. I, I don't think I'll ever go. Um, that's why in the main. Um, in the in the mania in the midst of a manic episode you of course you're like that could be real but in mania you're like that's definitely real and so i smashed the computer and because i was afraid they were watching me through the and you get and all of this makes complete sense to you but i would say that's happened five or ten times in my entire life it's much more when you say sense of whimsy whimsy the first thing i think of is kate because kate is really she talks about that a lot. She likes, I love a sense of whimsy. She likes things that are whimsical. I think it's kind of, I'm pretty carefree. And um, it's really a positive nihilism. It's like, if none of this, right. if none of this means anything, then, uh, then anything can mean everything. That's sort of the positive nihilist viewpoint. If nothing means anything, then you decide what, because anything 
can mean everything. So for me, it's oh, making wow. people laugh and doing that. And that's why a nihilist, a true nihilist, would never have a conversation with a um, religious person and be like, there's no God. There's, you know, what are you talking about? None of this means anything. You wouldn't do that. That's somebody who's like dogmatic and not truly a nihilist. Right, that's somebody who's more trying to push their agenda maybe. Yeah, because if truly nothing means anything, then th who cares? Yeah, there's a God, what, whatever. Even saying there's not a God doesn't mean anything. All that language is, is totally meaningless. Right. So, And you, if someone believes it, why take them to task if, it's, if it makes them feel comfortable or them feel good? Yeah, and that is, that is, I think, a beautiful thing in positive nihilism is this idea of you make your own meaning. That's, that's, we all in effect have become that concept of God where you can completely make uh, your life meaningful in any way, shape or form. Again, yeah. the state farm agent where it's like, you can make meaning in that or you can take other people's meaning and feel bad and wish you had a better car and always want the next uh, biggest television, all that stuff. But then, Again, as a positive nihilist, I'm going, but if wanting a bigger car is going to make you happy and having uh, the, ne the next television and the next best television, and that's really important to you, and you work hard because of that, then great. That's the meaning that you've made. Right. And so you get, it gets to a place, like you were talking about acceptance, you get to a place of really being accepting of other people and what they want and need and do. The only thing I don't, not very accepting of his hecklers. Do you get a lot of hecklers? Only in Oxon Hill, Maryland last weekend. That was really the only place. Uh, <laughs> He's like, steer clear Oxon Hill. I got, uh, what happened to me? Oh, well, I got, whenever like my career started to get busier about a, like a year ago, I started to have like a lot of control issues. I didn't realize that I had. Like I, I didn't realize how controlling I kind of was. Like I just. In terms of what? I just gotten used to being in a club and knowing what the space was like in the environment. And then. I felt so responsible for everybody's hat, like joy at the show in a theater, and yeah. you can't see them or anything. Like, I don't know if a lot of people realize in a theater you're just looking at lights a lot of times, or even almost on any stage you're just looking at lights. Like you can't. It's almost like two people trying to park boats, and you can't direct them. They're not yeah. listening, and the, you know, and you like park the boats and shut it off. You know, so I can. It's almost like an experiment. Sometimes you're just performing into a light. Sometimes it yeah, feels you're like. performing a little bit into a void. And you know, in a comedy club, you can at least see the front row. Yeah, and then if somebody yells something, you can either maybe see them or you can kind of talk to them in a way where it's like we're in the same room. Right. I mean, in the theater, they're like we're in the audience, you're on the stage. So we're our entity is audience. And there's a huge barrier between us and the stage. And I talk in my. Um, stand up a lot about ripping your attention away from these screens that are ruining our lives and how happy I am that they came to a setting like this, which is live and is um, I'll never perform for this exact audience again. No other audience will see this exact performance. This is a singular sort of time in our lives that we're sharing together. That doesn't work as well. Even that material doesn't work as well in a big theater. If I'm performing for a thousand people, they're kind of like, I could sort of be watching this at home on my television. You right. Know? And when I try and improvise, which I do every show in a theater, you're just further away. 
in um yeah it feels detached you, yeah, and it's, people it's can't tough. really hear what people said you have to repeat it that right. can fuck up the timing so hecklers in that in those senses yeah i hate that yeah and i hate you, that because it's play, too invasive do you play mostly theaters now or mostly comedy clubs or a mix just a mix probably a mix yeah i mean i've done a lot of theaters this past year but um looking forward to doing getting back into some clubs and doing just working on trying working on some new material i mean i think that's 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 a big part of what i love about the clubs but I would always rather do five shows at a 500-seat theater than one show at a 2,500-seat theater. And that might change as I grow older or also the material matures or what you know how I want to present things changes. But um, right now, kind of back to what you're talking about with the shift and trying to become a great comedian – uh, that also just requires reps. So yeah. It's like I need five shows, oh, yeah. much you more need, than I yeah. need one show. Yeah, you know, and that's why when I finish a weekend of doing five shows or six shows, if we add shows, I'll come back to New York, and I will at least one or two nights go and do sets, just go and do spots all around town. So yeah. I'm I'm performing a lot, you know, and that's why I moved to New York. I moved because Kate is this famous installation artist. Um, like internationally, but she's her world is in um, uh, New York, and so mm -hmm. I wanted to be with her. So I moved for love, obviously. Oh yeah, and then um, also just to be able to do so many more spots. And I love the feel, like we were talking about in the very beginning. I love the feel of the um, I love the energy, the fire alarm energy of doing as being a stand up comic in New York. Yeah, yeah, I think it 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 has like. Um yeah, New York definitely has more of a, you feel like you're just part of, there's always something going on. It feels, yeah. it feels fun. The world feels alive there. Yeah. And here the world feels a little bit more like little packaged sleepy. and like you're waiting for like Amazon to bring it by. Yeah. That's and what a, I feel and like a, li here a little sleepy, a little, you're in traffic and you're stopping and then you're starting and you're stopping. New York is just like, go, go, go. Would you ever, have you lived in New York? Would you ever live there? I just lived there for about three three months. Actually, I rented a room from a, I mean, a fellow a homosexual gentleman, actually, and he said... Um, <laughs> Let's make that clear. So it was really well decorated. Well, just very clean. And yeah, I took his bed over for, you know, three months, man. So I've done some things, you know. Yeah, I and, took uh, on some lovers. And I actually still feel like I owe him $150 maybe to get the... Um, I don't know if I hired a cleaner or whatever. But anyway... Um, but what I'm telling you is, yeah, I stayed there for three months and I really enjoyed it. Ari Shafir let me stay at his place for a little while. He's great. I ran into him a lot. And Kate loves him. She loves yeah. his energy. She lo He is such a sweet dude and he's very present. Yeah. And almost every time I have a conversation with him, I, I walk away from it with sort of a little bit more perspective on things. We presently not welcome the Staples Center too in Los Angeles. That's is that true? Thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's he had right. that falling out with Kobe <laughs> that Bryant. Make, that would make perfect sense. But at first, I was like, what did he do at the Staples Center? <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, I see. Yes, yes. No, he's a sweet guy. But he also had that falling out with Kobe Bryant or, you know, with that whole deal. And so he. Um, but that, coming from a positive, nihilistic uh, viewpoint. And I talked to him. We saw him after that. Kate and I were just walking home, and he was headed downtown, I think, to do the cellar. Or, yeah, do the fat black. And we sort of stopped him, and we talked a little bit. And then I said, you know, with the Mark Norman stuff, uh, or Mark Norman sort of spoke about how the people calling in death threats, like, why are we not focusing our anger on those, those people? people? That's yeah. really. And Ari said, yeah, I heard that he said something kind of interesting about that. He said, well, you know what it's like. It's like, you know, um, 
you just because because you've had the media go after you and i was like yeah and i I do want to say because i wanted to say this to him i said and my thing is i didn't think it was a funny joke i didn't think it was funny what you did and he's like then that's fine that's fine that's not the point of it and i was like but i don't think it's wrong if that was your thing and that's what you do then I don't think you did anything wrong. I think you got the reaction that you were going to get by right. doing that. Yeah, that's how um, you learn whatever you it is. You don't, and you don't expect that people are not going to react. If you're being a provocateur, then you expect people to feel provoked and to react in that way, which is a form of art to a lot of people. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's sure. A, it's Harmony Corinne is art. one of my favorite directors. Yeah, man. And he oh, did dude, I thought I saw, I, th- I, thought I and... saw him the other day. Really? And I was so afraid. Yeah, I met a guy. Well, somebody introduced me to somebody through. I met someone. Yeah. Somebody introduced me to that person and their name was Harmony. Uh, and it really, really looked like him, but I was so afraid to ask him. <clears throat> God, he's so great. Gummo, I think, is one of the great, but those films are so viscera- viscerally provocative. Yeah. And yeah, Ari's always been provocative. He's always been really. Yeah, that's his thing. And he gets on stage and he'll talk shit about Jewish people. And he's Jewish. And he had the first thing I ever saw him. He's a Jewish supremacist, really, almost. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the first thing I saw him uh, in is uh, The Amazing Racist. Racist, oh, yeah. And so that was so long ago. But from the get-go, he was walking around like an Asian geisha and just being like (laughs) so racist. He had a fake slave ship going back to Africa. Yeah, right, exactly. So it's like, obviously, the guy is into like jarring types of people. Really, really pushing, pushing, pushing. I think the problem is a lot of people had never seen, and uh, you you get a whole new group of people who had never heard of Ari. And this is how the first time they hear about him. So that's an easy picking for a lame per. That's an easy picking to hate. You know what's weird? Too? It's like, oh, I, want, I gotta hate somebody today. This is the yeah. easiest, the lowest hanging fruit. Right, I'm right. gonna hate him. But I, I think they probably also said, you know, it, it's just that that was. A, but he should be able to say what he wants. Yeah, I mean, Kate, said, for, I Kate said he should have known better, and I was like, he did know just fine. Like he knew that, and and what I said to him was, it was like. So how are you doing? You're fine, right? And he goes, yeah. You know, you you realize you get all this hatred, all this stuff. He's like, then you close the laptop and you look around like birds are chirping. I live in New York. It's beautiful outside. He said the problem was is that his family, and you know, kind of think about this in the context of the hate that he got. He said, you know, the problem was with my family, I realized, oh, they're taking this seriously and it's on a national level. And so I had to say to them, I'm okay. Nobody's going to kill me. I'm being safe. So that's what's really interesting is nobody really thinks behind all of that online hatred is a family that is really scared for their for their son, son. or their brother. Yeah, I think if the Knicks had been doing better, I think it would have had more support out of New York. <laughs> I'm serious. I love that. But I do. But yeah, it was just look. We've all told jokes that have bad timing. You know, like I, and sometimes it's it. You you should just be able to joke like and if you can joke and turn off your Twitter and turn that off if you don't care about that kind of stuff yeah. then you still can. Um, I had to. Do you get Google alerts about yourself? Uh no, I don't. And I I did for a long time because I was just interested in what people had to say and so stuff. Painful. And a while ago, I kind of. Well, you've had I, some wild alerts too, though, man. Yeah, but I I've also had people. I've gotten Googlers about you. I don't even have you written down in my Google. Right, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> I but I've had people sort of say stuff like. Um, you know, you weren't funny in this movie or you were terrible. It almost feels like they're talking about somebody else. I don't take that personally. But I got to a point where I started to understand, like, it doesn't... I still try and get on Twitter and interact with fans and do that, and I'm trying to interact more on Instagram. But the healthier thing, if you can do it, is just to not, you know, just to do... 
Instagram when it feels like it's fine. And then uh, that's my email. It's Google alerts for Theo Vaughn. That's it. It feels good. <laughs> you have yours on, but he's got his. Yeah, oh my God. That's the real deal, man. I'm glad that. I'm glad that doesn't come to your inbox. Yeah, I'm glad saying, somebody knows yeah. what's going on and if I'm okay. <laughs> For sure. I, I'll text Nick and ask him if I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just got to check in. Nick, Most of my day is okay? getting home at the end of the day and being like, oh my God, did I, am I okay? Am really? I okay? Yeah, like getting inside and be like, I'm okay. Everything's all right. Yeah. yeah. So you do, you have you have some sort of, would you call it sort of, are, are you an anxious person? Do you have some anxiety? Um, I don't know. You think, Nick? Yeah, it like... You feel, have kind of a laid back anxiety. It's like a feeling that everything could go away at any moment, which I guess causes anxiety, I feel like, is what Lazy I get. anxiety? No, I think it's an easygoing anxiety, but I'll say that's everybody. Well, trust Andy Hall. Warhol was always afraid that it was all going to disappear at once. So that happens to do with a lot of artists, you know? Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, just thinking that everything's not going to be okay. Oh, wait, I do. When, when I was young and stuff, nobody ever told me that everything's okay. There was never anybody in my life who's like just saying, hey, everything's fine, you know? So there was this narrative started in my head that everything just wasn't okay, you know? And so, and so that's, I think like a, it's just a strong swimmer that's in my bowl is that, you know, just that everything's not okay. Everything's not okay. Like I'll call people and be like, everything's okay. Right. And like, yeah, wow. everything's okay, man. I think also Los Angeles has done that to me a lot. Yeah. I think. I Los Angeles is filled with status anxiety. I also want to say, I love the way that you speak. You have such an idiosyncratic way of speaking when you say, I've got that's just swimming around in my bowl. It's, I would never, no one else except for you would say it like that, oh, thanks, but it makes man. perfect sense, just like the fire alarm analogy. But Los Angeles has so much status anxiety, and there's none of that in New York. Right. I mean, we really, we came back and Kate went to a screening with a friend of hers, and her friend was clearly had this, just the status anxiety, a little bit of desperation to her energy now, and we hadn't seen her in a couple of years, and... I, I actually didn't feel it. I, it. It goes pretty well for me at the lab. I like the guys' laugh factory. I'm like buddies with Dalia and Bobby Lee and stuff. Yeah. So that's always nice. But oh, yeah. I, I used Hilarious. to feel in, um, if I did any East Side rooms and kind of the alt hipster type rooms, there was just so much status anxiety as to really? how. Really? I feel like that's your world. No. Not, and certainly not anymore because those people have become the like, woke kind of i'll go after you on twitter or oh, all that yeah. kind of stuff That's so true. for me i i i really like the clubs here and then in manhattan i will do bar shows sometimes so but i also just want to perform for real people because that's what you and i do on the road and so it doesn't help us a lot to like like i i haven't even been to brooklyn since i moved to new york and i've been wow in new york i feel for like, like that's your whole years. world now it's so we are so much more a manhattan energy and couple and i'm so much more of a manhattan person to me first of all going to brooklyn to get to brooklyn do a show and come back i could have done three shows in manhattan right. so what was the point of going to brooklyn and second of all the audiences in brooklyn that's not who i'm performing for in omaha nebraska nor is it who i'm performing for in portland or san francisco or philadelphia right it's it is just brooklyn and i don't need any of the brooklyn cachet yeah it's just a lot of it's, it's definitely a lot of judgment comes out of some of those holes you and, know and i don't do the cellar right now in part because that table has a lot of status anxiety and people are thinking about, hey, I got to, I'm past the cellar and I get a little bit of a energy of, um, you know, you don't, you don't belong here yet. You haven't paid your dues or something and no other clubs are like that. So I, that's the only place I experience status anxiety in 
New York City is in the comedy cellar proper, and everybody else is nice to me there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I Jim get nervous Norton in there. And, and David Tell and Godfrey, all those people are so nice to me. But the younger class, if it's not one of the girls, so like I get along with Nikki Glaser, Rachel Feinstein. Like there's, I get along with all the. They're girls. like men almost though too. Those yeah, women. too, and they're just cool. They're just like down ass chicks. Yeah. I just love them, and so I'm. Uh, I think that more and more I'm seeing that like. If I stay away from that table at the comedy cellar and 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 I don't play that room, but I'll play Village Underground and the Fat Black uh, Pussycat, I uh, I don't really come across any um, uh, I don't come across much status anxiety in Manhattan, and so that's really helped me because I agree with you. I think Los Angeles can kind of make you think, where am I? Where am I compared to this person? When yeah, am you I don't see anybody. You don't connect. You never. Like I, I know I'm a nice person sometimes because I'll see someone in the morning or anytime in a regular place, you run into more people. Hey, how are you? How are you? You share a little bit about what's going on. If they're not doing well, I can notice it and say, Hey, what's you know, what's happening? How you yeah, know yeah. do something to be be a part of somebody's day. So you have yeah. more of a reflection of who you are. Somebody yeah. can see if you're not doing well. Whereas here you just get so uh, it's just it's built in a way that if you don't make an extra an extra if you don't try harder yeah, to like get out and meet other people, you make an extra be, yeah. effort. Yes, effort. But then you then you can get you can get stuck where you're just looking at your own reflection all the time. I think that's right. You and you're in a car, and to get from this neighborhood to this neighborhood takes twenty minutes, thirty minutes, forty five minutes. And that's why we've always lived in Hollywood because we have a place here, um, just like a little apartment, and it's in Hollywood so we walk a lot mm -hmm. we don't really drive in Los Angeles that's nice I'd rather have somebody even throw shit at me just because somebody's around you know yeah, oh yeah. man that totally. guy's got turds you yeah, know yeah. it's getting wild out here <laughs> it is getting wild Hollywood is it's a sketchy grimy place but it was the closest thing we had to New York City and so we've kind of stuck around that area but yeah I, I almost crave I, when I took Kate I was upset that I had to take a car out here right away because I just will walk. I walk so much out there and there's all these secret stairs and stuff. And that just reminds you that um, Los Angeles isn't just Hollywood the machine. Mm -hmm. It's also a city. And we we drove from San Jose. I have a classic car. It's a 1992 Mitsubishi 3000 GT VR4 twin turbo. You bring Pull it up. up. Praise God. It's red. Praise the Lord. PTL, baby. And uh, and so we took that from San Jose down the Pacific Coast one, the the Highway one through Carmel and oh, Big yeah. Sur, and then all the way down to Santa Barbara. I jerk off in the trunk of that thing, dude. Yeah, you and I can. wouldn't tell a soul, boy. You um, feel me, dude? I wonder if it was. Is that you right there by it over in that in that field over there on the right, a little lower? Do you have it on your Instagram, possibly? Yeah, definitely. Right? Is that? So maybe feel like that Instagram. Yeah, you saw it. it? But it's um, no to the right a little, up, up, left. Nope. No, it's I don't see that field. Look at that field, man. Oh. Is that you? <laughs> it's on my Instagram. Yes, that's me. But from Transformers Four, that's not my car. But that's Damn, a dope no. car, dude. You got the you got a little bit of thick in you, baby. Yeah, you know what it is. Yeah, dude. You uh, got to get a thong, baby. You got to go to Miami. Yeah, that's the way. Um, but yeah, so we drove that down. Um, uh, the coast because I, we wanted to remind ourselves that uh, Los Angeles is not is not California. 
Yeah, that that that, or for us, that California isn't Los Angeles. Los Angeles is just a part of California. Yeah, and so it's huge, man. And that was really, really important. And we had such a good time. And we, you know, we renewed our vows in Big Sur a while ago, and we love Santa Barbara, so we got much more into the. Everything. Well, even if you get out, like uh, you know, there's a podcast that I've done a few times that I absolutely love, and I want to go do it again. And it's called. um, It would be be pretty recently. It would be like within the last month or so. Kate and I would have been out and about. Look at that picture of me with the the face on my chest with Kate. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. That's pretty perfect. Mm -hmm. That was from the Critics' Choice Awards. We did an opener with whistling belly buttons. So yeah, it would have been it it would have been just a few more down. Do you get nervous? Like, do you? What is your relationship like with the media? Like, do you trust the media? Like you? Because you've had some, you know, you've had some wild stories. And the reason is, yeah, the Amtrak experience. The reason is, is because of the clickbait. They're looking for sort of the clickbait of it all, and when it is there, it is. That's it. So that's yeah. You can play the card. You see it? It'll show you the card. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Huh? I mean, yeah, right. Isn't that nice? Look at that. And then that's a guy smoking weed in a bus. That's what it's like to oh, be yeah. in Northern California. That bus isn't in use though, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he was using it to get high for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but um, no, I mean, I, I, you can't. And it's so sad that the. The current narrative is kind of true that they'll just they'll either lie about you or they'll turn whatever it is into clickbait and they're kind of you know it's that's the problem with the media right now is they're they're trying to get ratings like entertainment like a television show or, or, or you know or movie with the box office that type of thing and so I try and really all you can do is tune that out I asked Jennifer Aniston about this in office Christmas party I said, how do you deal with the tabloid stuff? I mean, it's just so crazy. They're just lying. She seems like such a team that's able to manage it so much. Well, but they're just lying. I mean, you on the front of these things, they say, oh, Brad and, uh, and, and, you know, they're getting back together. Or like Jennifer Aniston is so happy that Brad and Angelina are getting divorced. And she was like, I'm not happy. I want people to be happy. I'm not happy with that. None of that is true. I said, so how do you deal with it? And she said, you know, you just have to tune it out and, have to be zen about it. you have to and it takes a lot of energy and it requires a lot of work and you got to know that the people that really know you know the real story and the rest of the world is gonna have to decide if they want to believe these sources that just aren't real you know when you had can i uh, ask you about the train experience the amtrak no because we're still only because we're still um do you really get to meet the fbi It's not. It's not as. Uh, it's not as glamorous as all that, Theo. Um, but you, uh, with that that case hasn't been resolved yet okay. because it was a. I, as I say, it's a miscommunication with the federal government. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, once the case is resolved, we'll be able to talk about it more. But that's an example of something that was like that was between me and the government. You know, me trying to. If you see something, say something. And the government worrying that it wasn't anything. And then TMZ just immediately was like, he did this. And it was false. And he called it as a joke. And it's like. And there's no rebuttal for people if there is something that's said that's off about them or wrong. There's no. I have a bit about that. That you can't. You're totally. The media can lie about you with any repercussion or any recourse. And you can't do anything. You can't even sue people for defamation if you're famous. So the second that they can prove that in some 
Arena, you were famous. You're definitely famous. And so if somebody could say something terrible about you in the press and you could be like, that's a lie, I'm suing for defamation, they would they would be able to say, no, that's not the case. And, um, and they could sue you, right, for something that isn't true. And most likely the lawyers would say, Theo, it's better to settle this out of court. And you could say, but this person is lying. Like this is what happened to me. This person is just lying. They yeah. just decided to lie. And the lawyer will say, "Well, we actually know from running his past that he has a he has a history of suing companies and people and settling out of court. Um, so he's done this before, and it's better for you to pay him money than to go in front of a court and possibly yeah, be exposed yeah, to losing yeah. more money. And not only is that a terrible reality, what's also terrible is now when it says that was settled out of court." The public is kind of like, so did he do something wrong and just pay the person off? Right, there's like, ne- yeah, no. but they just leave this this untethered end, like kind it's of or totally whatever. Crazy. Do you think? But but it then. But doesn't it scare you to work in an industry that's kind of built on, on a lot of that? Like that. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a big part of right now. When I'm doing stand up and doing in in doing stand up, I'm actually in a lot of ways doing much better than I was doing when I was on a television show because financially it's the same, if not better. Um, artistically you're in charge of your own everything, uh, in terms of like personal life, I have much more flexibility and I get to spend a lot more time with Kate. If I'm doing a TV show or a movie, a movie I'm gone for three months and Kate really can't visit me because she has her own work and I can't go on the weekends to visit her. So I see her a lot more doing stand-up wow. than I would if I was doing film and television. Um, but like with the Drew Barrymore movie, I still love doing films. And um, But yeah, it's a uh, it, it's stand-up is very different. Bill Burr has a really good Conan interview. Oh, have I mean, you seen ours with him? <laughs> no, I mean, I've seen it's, it's pretty good. good. Yeah, he's great, but he said the, the way you do it is don't have your own show, and which is funny because he has F is for family. Um, but he was like, the b- best thing you can do is just not have your own show. Then you can say whatever you want because they can't take anything away from you. Right. And so that's, I think, what was really pounded into my face is that Hollywood almost darkly prides itself on the fact that it can take everything away from you at every moment. That's, in fact, what the stand-in is about. Drew Barrymore plays a movie star and her own stand-in, so she's playing two parts. And it's about how Hollywood loves to take everything away from you, tear you down, and then make you grovel to uh, pull yourself back up and do an apology to her and apologize and say, please, you know, I want to apologize to my fans. And I... It's like a slavery, or not a slavery. It is, no, it's like a slavery. It's It's like like they, you know, they can beat you and then make you apologize for making them beat you. Yeah. Sort of, kind of like that. And that is a slave. Yeah, like, oh, I understood why you beat me. Exactly. And I want to apologize to you for it, and please give me a chance to not be beaten. Yeah. It's almost like that. And so stand-up just eliminates that possibility. Well, it seemed like such a, I mean, because you're such a... I mean, you're just very different, you know, and you, and it's hard probably to fit. I would imagine, I, I couldn't imagine being I'm different. you and fitting into, because a lot of things are very systematic. The yeah. world we live in is a, just a lot of systems that work best because it facilitates all these moving people at once. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. There is a component of me that doesn't fit in very well to predisposed systems, whether that be... Um, any kind of, I mean, really any kind of system, whether that be like 
the rules at a theme park or, you know, the school system. I had a real tough problem with that. And the Hollywood system, I think, for a long time has not really known what to do with me, especially because I'm a self-professed comedian, not actor. Right. So when yeah, I, I've heard when you I, say that before. When I left Silicon Valley, they didn't understand. They're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just think there's a really funny ending to it if I sort of go off in this opium den. And I think this is a good time for me to sort of end the series or end my part of the series. And then the series can change and grow. And they're like, but okay, do you want to come back and do three out of 10 episodes? Because HBO was super cool. They were like, do you want to come back and do three out of the eight episodes? And I said, no, no, no. I think it's really funny to end it just like this on this. And this four seasons is great. That was great. Thank you. And they're like, well, what about the season finale? And I was like, no, that's okay. And they're like, just, you're not even open to the season. And what it was is they were like, but you're an actor and you're on a successful television show. This is what every actor always dreamed of. So you, how can you walk away from that? And it's like, because I'm not an actor. You know what I mean? This oh, I wasn't my dream to be Ehrlich on Silicon Valley. It was my dream to work with Mike Judge and make a television show that people loved or be a part of one for sure. But I also have made television shows like Gorberger or Mashup that people have loved. I do stand-up, which I really love. And I make films that people love. So it, I'm, I was kind of like, I don't want to. And so that's an example of Hollywood itself being like, don't I don't understand. like that this guy doesn't give a shit. Or is he really acting like he's get, is he an arrogant asshole? Or is he truly a nihilist? What, what is really going on with this person? So I can be very confusing to those systems. And um, I think that's why I thrive in kind of independent projects, stand-up being the most important, film being sort of a capsule that happens, it goes out, and then I'm on to the next thing. Um, I'm not sort of on a television show for years and years. Right, where this is, this and why is I respect like, yeah, people like, like you who sort of have done this, which is to create your own system and your own kind of, and then you've thrived from that and then that becomes theaters, you know, and selling out clubs and stuff like that. So that, that, and I, I think I'm also drawn to stand up comics because they usually don't necessarily fit in any system. They're not willing to fall in line. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's something, uh, yeah, I never, I never wanted to, if something wasn't unique, I never wanted to do it. Or, or probably, and you didn't want to be a part of it necessarily. Yeah, I've had a tough time being a part of things sometimes. Because yeah. I think in nature, I never felt a part of things. So then why would I naturally, easily, I would, it would be tough to gravitate towards it sometimes, yeah. you know? Um, but, you know, I think it's interesting what you're saying, man. I mean, I think, yeah, Bird does a great job of it in the sense that great he, job, he does yeah. stand up. He created an animation. He kind of jumps into things here and there. But there's nothing that's like keeping him in a stable, in a tether constantly yeah he's not tethered at all and he's pretty strongly uh, a stand-up I yeah mean, he really is and that's been another interesting thing is to interact with people because so many stand-ups that i know really wanted to act you know i don't yeah. know how well you want you want to succeed and there's this there's this thing that like that Hollywood is a success. There's this thing, especially even with our parents, our yeah. generation. I mean, I think I'm a little older than you, but where they television is it. Like yeah, I could tour around the world doing uh, comedy, yeah, the but world. they're like, oh, if I, if I didn't see on an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, are you yeah. doing okay or what's going on? Are you homosexual? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> keep. But it is. You'll get the in the beginning of your career. You're like, I'm headlining. Um, 
what was it? I was like, I was in a movie. I was in Cloverfield, and I was in. Oh yeah, and, Cloverfield. Yeah, and then I was I was headlining clubs. And I'd been on a television show, but it got canceled. And I went to a family reunion, and somebody was like, "Hey, just keep at it. You'll make it one day." And I was like, "What? I already I did it." Yeah. What do you want me to You're do? You're gonna dude? get there. I'm there. Overdose. It's, it's currently happening. Right. You exactly. Want me to overdose on Sunset. What do it's I need to do? It's currently happening. So people do think that, and I've seen stand-ups who just wanted to from stand-up to become a television star or a movie star or whatever talk show host and that just hasn't been my end-all be-all and i'm so happy i'm doing an international tour you can find the tickets on tj miller does not have a website.com we're announcing the tour very soon in uh may and june and i'm going all over europe and then and then on to like other parts wow. of the world like Auckland, New Zealand and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And so that's so exciting for me and I'm almost as certainly as happy but almost happier doing that than being on the cover of a magazine because I'm on a hit television show or I'm part of a big movie franchise or something like that. So obviously I feel hashtag blessed for both um, or for all of it. Uh, but I don't really think success is in success for me in a lot of ways is is less in what you get and more in how much control you have. Mm. I think you're really successful if you have control of your own life and you're not, you know, that's why I feel bad for a lot of actors because they have to take actually uh, after Tiger Belly, um, Bobby Lee and I were talking and mm. He just said, he said, aren't we so lucky, TJ? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, to have comedy. And I said, oh, yeah, definitely. And he goes, we're just so lucky. We just get to tour and make money and do this thing. And it's so fun. I just, we're so lucky. And he was talking about, we both were kind of talking about, if you're an actor, then the job ends and you kind of are waiting for the next job. And he and I were talking I about how that. you withstand up. This, this is never going to stop until you want it to. So having that control, that's to me, that's success. Being, you know, really, really rich because you were the guy, the one of the nerds on the Big Bang Theory. I don't know that that is. You didn't have a lot of say in your life during that time, and I, I don't know how much money is that's worth to sort of relinquish that much control. Right. I would much prefer. To not make as much. That was another thing about Silicon Valley. They're like, don't you want to be rich? I mean, they didn't say that. It, it is <laughs> yeah. sort of like. Oh, it always. That's the bottom line of all of it. Don't, don't you yeah. want to? Don't, don't you want to do this? Buy a yeah. boat? Don't you want to be able to buy a boat yeah. and have a big house? With don't a you pool? want to have a second wife? Yeah, right. <laughs> you want to have a divorce? Yeah, no. <laughs> be able to pay the alimony. And I, you know, I kind of was like, no, I don't want a boat. I don't need a. I want to live in New York City, and so we have this dope place in New York City. And I don't need a pool, and I don't need a plane. One of the guys from Silicon Valley bought a plane. And wow. And I was just like, what? But I mean, he <laughs> likes to fly planes and stuff. But I was like, I just want to be a comic in New York. That was the coolest thing to me. It's not like having a mansion in Bel Air or something. Is it addictive, boat. though, whenever you get um, – because you – I mean, you, you – I remember seeing when you did the um, the Yogi Bear audition, right? That was yeah, like the yeah, biggest yeah. thing. We and I was so yesterday. jealous. I remember seeing like, man, this guy, 
he's just so it's for Allison Jones I think you did it for was that right yeah maybe? totally and but I that, just remember that, that, that go ahead because you did a special audition right you did a special audition where this is what I heard this is okay. just from okay this guy found a bear somewhere and got to go went and did a special audition next to a very dangerous bear yep. and got a really good take and submitted the uh, and submitted that as an audition and said you sh I should be a part of this so the truth is I went and I auditioned because I thought it would be funny to be in Yogi Bear 3D mm -hmm. because it would be a funny stand-up credit, right? Mm -hmm. And it would just be silly to do that. And then I found out Anna Ferris was going to be in it, and I was like, oh, my God, that would be amazing because she's like one of my comedy idols. And then um, I went and I did the audition with Allison Jones. It went well. And then I went and I bought a ranger hat as a joke, and I went in and I, um, I went in and I was like, Hey, I, I just wanted to let you guys know I, I brought my own ranger hat and I was just wondering if I could use it. I don't have to, but it was $19.99 <laughs> and, you know, I, I can't return it. I can exchange it for something else, but I bought it for the audition and they were kind of like, yeah, that's fine, man. I was like, great. I, it was so ridiculous. So I go in there, <laughs> I go in there and I put the, um, I put on the hat and they say, say your name in Slate, you know, the, the poor kid the casting assistant that's got the camera say your name in slate and my joke with that is i'm always like uh tj miller auditioning for the role of yogi bear 3d i'm six foot three uh but when i act i crouch so i'm six foot two and then they're like okay we're ready <laughs> and then i go i'm sorry can i just stop you guys real quick and this, this poor casting assistant i go can i just ask you something how much about how much headroom do i have because i'm gonna be doing a lot of hat work so if you can give me sort of enough <laughs> So think of it less as headroom and more hat room. So how much hat room do I have? And this kid's like, I mean, I, I don't know, like about this much. And I was like, yeah, but I can't. That's smaller to me than it is to you because you're far away. So just tell me when to stop. And I was like, and he's like, he's like, no, no, no stop before there. I was like, can you give, can you give me this? What about here? Okay, because I'm gonna be doing kind of like woo woo, you know, like whoa, and kind of a. Uh, that sort of stuff. So do I have room to do that? And this kid's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I did the audition, but they're already cracking. So up now you've already got point. a lot of humor going before the audition's already you know, started. Now we've, yeah, we've that's a key broken move. Broken the ass and gone. So then Allison texted me actually after the audition. She was like, you know, they're, you're their first choice. And I think this is, you're going to get good news tomorrow. And I was like, tell them that I want to submit supplemental materials to give them a better idea of what I would do with the part. She was like, I don't think you need to. And I was like, yeah, but I have this great idea. So then I did. I went, I rented a bear at the Hollywood Animal That's Ranch. so risky, Shout I out. feel like. And then I made it, sent it to them. And yeah, but it was a joke. The whole thing is right. A joke I get it, but still, as a as an joke. as somebody that auditions and stuff, that would feel like suck to a regular person. Yeah, with a full lobe. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would feel full TJ. Lobe. Full that lobe would, in it. Yeah, that hey, would buddy. feel like I'm such just, a because you're like already have like I'm just to be like I'm gonna I'm just, another I'm card. Just, I'm just three quarter lobe in it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I wasn't full lobe in it. No way. And so I. Uh, I sent them this audition because you got to think about it. If I've already gotten it and then I make a funny video, like that's not going to hurt the situation. So I sent it and they watched it and I thought it was so funny. And they, they sent it all the way up to Alan Horn, who was the head of the studio at the time. Jewish and guy or not? He, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, um, but I he, think I met him. He, uh, Horn? He, he goes, yeah, he's been, I think he's the head of, he was the head of Warner Brothers and now he's the I've head of, him. um, He's involved in Disney somehow. 
and he um, he never laughs at anything. And he watched this. Oh, good. Yeah. And he didn't laugh, but he was like, "We should we should hire this kid. He's really really funny." And um, I said, "Well, yeah, he was his, he he was our first choice." So I did that movie. Yeah, in 2010, and that's the film that right afterwards, my actually while I was doing the film, my brain hemorrhaged just slightly. Fuck yeah! And I started to go actually insane, like clinically insane, because there was just too much blood in my brain. And then when I came back afterwards, I was in like a really crazy state, and I um, uh, that's when I had the seizures, plural, and went to the hospital, and they were like, "We need to operate on your brain." Yogi Bear 3D okay, brings dude. it all around full circle. That's now, amazing, three bro. Now three-quarter lobing it, coast to coast and worldwide. <laughs> I love it. Now I'm just floating on the breeze and I feel I'm falling like these leaves. I must be cornerstone. Oh, but when I reach that ground, I'll share this peace of mind I found. I can feel it in my bones. But it's gonna take a little time for me to set that parking brake and let myself all wild shine.